the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, when it comes to rookie running backs and their ability to contribute quickly in the NFL, what aspect of the job are they most able to perform quickly? The natural things, the the instinct-related things, the things associated with the ball in their hands and specifically carrying the ball, the things that they've done all their lives. There's a lot of adjustments, obviously, at every position as you transition from level to level, no different at the running back, particularly in pass protection and the complexities in the passing game, whether it's route running and so forth. I think the thing that really comes natural to them and the place that they find comfort uh, is when they have the ball in their hands and they're doing what they've always done. You mentioned ball placement. Could you explain a little what you mean by that? Uh, ball placement is, you know, the desired space that you want the ball to hit based on the contour of the defense and the offensive call. Um, you know, ability, a back's ability to find that place, obviously, um, is significant in terms of run game efficiency and um, the percentage in which they hit it. Forget it. The vast majority of times they got to find that space. Um, but we're talking, you know, a 98 percentile back as opposed to a 89 percentile back. That's a significant difference in terms of how it plays out in yardage. You mentioned briefly the passing game. Uh, is that what um... – when, when a rookie comes into the league as an NFL uh, running back, uh, is that the aspect of the job that usually takes the longest? Depending on where they come from uh, in their roles within those environments, uh, it was not as much of a chore for Jalen Samuels, for example, because that was his niche at NC State. They had a two-back system. He was the back that performed in passing circumstances, whether it's catching the 71 balls he caught in his last year or the, or the protection that came with uh, times that they didn't have him out in the route. He was a practicing third down back even prior to uh, coming to the NFL. So uh, largely blanket statements, yes. Uh, most have a lot of room for growth. In some instances, uh, like Jalen, uh, is how they carved their niche. Staying with the running back position here just for a minute, what does it mean when you say about a back he got what was blocked? It means he did nothing special. Um, he didn't do anything to add to run game efficiency or that play. Getting what's blocked most of the time is viewed as a negative, um, and, and rightfully so. Uh, you want to win the line of scrimmage, and that's the job of the offensive line. You want to have run game efficiency, and that's four-yard runs, and that's based on winning the line of scrimmage and ball placement. You want to be explosive, and that's running back ability and perimeter blocking. Uh, so you want it all in development of your run game. The running back has some specific responsibilities within that, and that's ball placement and then being dynamic beyond that. And when a guy is getting what's blocked, he's lacking that dimension uh, of, of explosion. What's being dynamic, running somebody over? Or by them, just depending on your skill set. Um, you know, Willie Parker was dynamic in, in a different way than, than Jerome Bettis, <laughs> for, sure, for example. <laughs> um, uh, after the Bengals game, uh, you said you made the switch to Devlin Hodges in the second half because you were looking for a spark. Uh, when you're thinking about that kind of a move, does the individual's personality and how he's viewed by his teammates help provide that spark in any way? No, it really wasn't about that individual. It was about the guys that were participating in, in what I was not seeing from them. And, and it was about a hope that he could change what 
what was trending in terms of what I was looking at. So, you know, it was really not about Devlin. It was about I didn't like what I was seeing from the officer unit that was on the grass. And, man, you got to give guys opportunity to, 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 to turn the tide if they're capable. How, how does the quarterback do that? You know, just by making a play, um, by, by, you know, putting a different set of eyes on the same plan and a different interpretation in terms of how it plays out. Um, we set the same plays in there, but oftentimes a different set of eyes uh, uh, produces a different result, and that's what I was hopeful for. Uh, when you're playing with a young, inexperienced quarterback, uh, what's your philosophy in terms of them changing the play at the line of scrimmage? You know, we want to eliminate a lot of the pre-snap thinking for them. So if there's a play change, it's done within the – the guidelines in which we prescribed and all he has to do is acknowledge what he's looking at or the trigger that changes the play. But unilaterally and allowing them to change the play and pull from an infinite menu, you're asking for trouble. You're complicating his day. He's got enough problems just executing what's required at the quarterback position. And that goes beyond inexperienced guys. That goes for most guys. I think you know, it's a discussion when you have a guy that's capable of doing what you suggest. I think the vast majority of guys, not only here but globally in this game, need that type of assistance from coaches. And don't get me wrong, we don't mind providing it. That's our jobs. Uh, and and on the line, along the lines of keeping his job simple, uh, how do you approach that in terms of how much verbal interaction you have with the young quarterback on game day? I mean, or do you pretty much leave him alone unless he needs to hear something from you, or are you more hands-on, uh, tr- trying to walk him through it almost? Usually, more times than not, um, I try to be myself. I try to have a consistent approach. Football is an emotional game played by emotional men. They need consistency from me. They need an anchor point from me. Um, I don't want to get new on them on game day. Um, So whatever my relationships or interactions with them are in general, and I got 53 individual relationships, uh, I try to stay to the script in terms of whatever that is. Uh, I don't want it to change just because their profile is or their responsibility on that particular day is. I got a great deal of confidence in everybody's ability within our team, and I and that's an opportunity for me to display it by, by not getting new or funny. Okay, today's opponent, the Cleveland Browns, have a couple of high draft picks starting at cornerback for them. Denzel Ward was the fourth overall pick in the first round in 2018. Greedy Williams was the high second-round pick in 2019. When you look at their individual skill sets, are they similar players or would you describe them more as complementary? They're complementary players. Um, You know, just having scouted both guys, got a lot of respect for Denzel Ward's awareness. He's one of those guys that he makes plays because of his eyes. He's got a really good feel for the game. Uh, He's a very good, capable zone defender. He made some picks uh, in his very first professional game against us a year ago uh, because of that vision. Uh, and you saw it. Uh, Greedy is a is a is a bump guy. He's an Ike Taylor type. Um, he's a he's a receiver eliminator. He's a bump and run cover guy, um, and, is, and is very good at that. Um, and is probably less of a zone player, more of a man player. Uh, when teams are, are looking to put two guys together at corner, are there specific skill sets for each side, or doesn't matter? It, it, it really doesn't matter. I think, particularly if you're talking about the draft. 
Um, player availability and the best available uh, oftentimes comes in different forms. And so, you know, if you have red paint, you paint your barn red. If there's an elite guy that's a vision player, uh, you covet that. If there's an elite guy that's bump capable, uh, then you play more man-to-man. Uh, I think that's how all of us are built or should be built uh, because there's a scarcity of talent, and particularly at the, at the elite level. Browns linebacker Joe Schobert has had two interceptions in each of their last two games. Uh, are they deploying him differently, or is he just on a hot streak? He's on a hot streak. Um, they're not deploying him any different. Uh, but, you know, to call it a hot streak is probably disrespectful to his capabilities. He's he's getting some splash and getting some splash of late, uh, but it's no fluke. This guy's a top-quality player. Uh, we got a lot of respect for him. Really got an up-close-and-look up close and personal look at him when we coached in the Pro Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, He's a former college teammate of T.J. Watt. So you got inside intel in terms of his level of athleticism. T.J. got a lot of respect for him, not only as a player and a man, but as just a high-grade athlete. You said you got some intel on him. Uh, Could you expand on that a little bit? You know, I was like, T.J., give me a one-liner about 5'3". Unbelievable dunker. (laughs) And, you know, and – College teammates, and that says a lot. You know, you're talking about an NFL linebacker, a guy that's 360 dunk capable, a guy that's capable of dunking the ball any way you want it. There's an element of athleticism in that that you don't get a chance to see in watching him play football, but you understand what it means in terms of his football game. Uh, Naturally, when Miles Garrett was a part of the Browns defense, you would formulate a plan to deal with him. Uh, Do you also plan for him not being a part of the Browns defense since you know he will not be playing today? No, no. you know, we, you build a plan to deal with the Browns. Uh, you, you supplement that plan and you fortify that plan by working to minimize special people. Like Garrett, if he's available, then it requires more catering. If he's not available, then it requires less discussion. So you don't necessarily plan for him not being there. The adjustment is to the things that you do, particularly situationally, to minimize a significant game-changer-like player like him. Regardless of Miles Garrett or who's uh, replacing him or whatever, the plans, when, you're, when you formulate a plan to go into a game, does it ever, in, instead of dealing with the great players, as you just described, does it ever target a weak link, identify and target a weak link? I think it's both. I think it always is. I think, you know, in the game of football, whether it's a coach and you're talking about the collective or you're a player and you're talking about specifically your game, the key is to accentuate your strengths and play to it and minimize your weaknesses and hide them. And, and so that's how I deal in a collective as a coach. That's how I expect our players to deal when I'm talking about individual elements of their game. And so no question, uh, from a strategy standpoint, uh, you work to keep yourself out of harm's way of some of the special players you work to attack some of the guys that you think are an advantageous matchup. A week ago, we stayed away from William Jackson. We went at B.W. Webb, and it's just football. In the situation uh, like the first game against the Browns where so many of your players were fined in the wake of that incident at the end, once those numbers come out, do you ever talk, do you have to talk anybody off the ledge when they see that some of those, they get those letters and the amounts that there are? I mean, do you deal with that at all individually with them as a You team? don't. Um, you don't. I think it it doesn't take a great deal of time for guys to to adjust to, to this in professional environment and, and the fine system and the amount of fines. Um, I, I think it requires very little discussion. I think, obviously, it's shocking 
to the outside eye and things of that nature. But these guys are in this business. Uh, they understand the twists and turns. They pretty much could anticipate it. It doesn't mean that they're happy about it uh, or accept some of the judgment, uh, but they're never surprised by the number or spend a lot of time talking about the ridiculous numbers that are associated with the And they don't the obsess about what they lost. It's high-stakes business. It's just zeros. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know that's that's kind of the mentality regarding it, and, and, and thankfully so, because we can't be focused on the money. Uh, we got to be focused on the opportunity, the challenges, the game itself. Uh, these guys play football because they love it, and they've ascended through this game because of their talents. Uh, money's got very little to do with that.